This is Finding Center, a daily half hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is the worth of souls. William B. Lund, Associate University Librarian for Information Technology at BYU when this devotional was given, will give his message entitled, For God So Loved You. How many of you recall seeing the great arch of the Milky Way spanning the sky over your head, along with millions of stars covering the dome of the heavens? One of the things that I forget living in a city is the glory of that night sky, stretching from one horizon to the other. Prior to the industrialization of our society, the view of the night sky filled with stars would have been common. It is breathtaking to realize that these stars seen from Earth are only a few of the stars in our Milky Way galaxy, which is estimated to contain on the order of 300 billion stars. The center of our galaxy is about 27,000 light years from our sun. Sometime back, our friends who have a cabin in San Juan Mountains of southern Colorado invited us to a star party where a group gathered far from the city lights with their telescopes to view interesting features, such as planets in our own solar system, nebula, as well as the Andromeda Galaxy, our nearest galactic neighbor. The telescopes ranged in size from small refracting telescopes on tripods to large reflecting telescopes. They needed a ladder to get to the eyepiece. As powerful as these amateur telescopes were, research into astronomy requires much more powerful instruments. One of those powerful telescopes is the Hubble Space Telescope, built in 1990. It orbits at about 350 miles above the Earth, far above the interference of the atmosphere. The Hubble's mirror is 2.4 meters in diameter, and the entire telescope weighs over 10 tons. Since its launch, it has made over 1 million observations, resulting in over 100 terabytes of data. Astronomers from all over the world use the Hubble in their research. Saturn is, in my view, the most beautiful planet in our solar system and only lies about 1.1 light hours from Earth at its nearest approach. Although viewing the planets of our solar system has yielded spectacular results, the Hubble isn't limited to close-range objects. Moving out of our solar system to about 2,000 light years, we see the ring nebula in an image taken by the Hubble. The Ring Nebula is a star that exploded thousands of years ago with a beautiful nebula, which is the remnants of that star. See, Robert O'Dell noted that the nebula is not like a bagel, but rather it's a jelly donut because it is filled with material in the middle. With Hubble's detail, we see a completely different shape than what's been thought about historically for this classic nebula. The new Hubble observations show the nebula in much clearer detail we see things are not as simple as we previously thought, end quote. Viewing objects beyond our own galaxy, the Hubble telescope caught the Pinwheel Galaxy, which is 25 million light years from us. It is estimated that it contains on the order of 100 billion stars, smaller than the 300 billion stars of our own galaxy, but shaped similarly to our own galaxy. What must it be like to be able to perceive the slow spin of this galaxy and the interaction of its stars? Most amazing to me is pointing the Hubble telescope at what appeared to be a minuscule vacant region of the sky, taking multiple exposures adding up to 560 hours. This image captures 5,500 galaxies, 
and a distance of as much as 3.2 billion light years. The faintest galaxies in the image are one ten billionth the brightness of what the human eye can see. If we assume that this is the same type of image we will see if we were able to view the universe from any direction, the number of galaxies and the number of stars in those galaxies is overwhelming. I feel very, very small. Moses, recording in the Pearl of Great Price, his vision of God's creations feels the same way, saying in Moses chapter 1, verse 10, quote, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. End quote. How is it that a planet as small as ours, orbiting a single star out of billions among galaxies that seem endless, can attract the attention of the Creator? In this uh, vision of Moses, Father in heaven reveals, And worlds without number have I created. I also created them for mine own purpose. And by the Son I created them, which is mine only begotten. And as one earth shall pass away, and the heavens thereof, even so shall another come. And there is no end to my works, neither to my words. Father in heaven then reveals why he attends to our small planet and its population. For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man. Or if I might be permitted to paraphrase this scripture, For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass your immortality and eternal life. Our Father in Heaven's work is individual salvation and individual happiness in eternity. We aren't specks in the universal expanse of God's creation, but individuals loved and cherished by God. Whereas we use huge telescopes to see the expanse of God's creation, it is as if our Father in Heaven uses a huge microscope so that he can see each one of us individually and be with us. President Uchtdorf, in the October 2011 General Conference, made similar observations. Quote, But even though man is nothing, it fills me with wonder and awe to think that the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And while we may look at the vast expanse of the universe and say, What is man in comparison to the glory of creation? God himself said we are the reason he created the universe. His work and glory, the purpose for this magnificent universe, is to save and exalt mankind. President Uchtdorf continues, In other words, the vast expanse of eternity, the glories and mysteries of infinite space and time are all built for the benefit of ordinary mortals like you and me. Our Father in heaven created the universe that we might reach our potential as his sons and daughters. This is the paradox of man. Compared to God, man is nothing. Yet we are everything to God. While against the backdrop of infinite creation we may appear to be nothing, we have a spark of eternal fire burning within our breast. We have the incomprehensible promise of exaltation, worlds without end within our grasp. And it is God's great desire to help us reach it. End quote. If there is anything that I can do from this podium today, it is to share with you the love that God and His Son have for us and the personal attention they give each one of us. At the risk of starting with the trivial, I'd like to share examples from my own life that shows our Father in Heaven cares for even the smallest problems. As was said in the introduction, I have a PhD in computer science, 
What's not mentioned is that my PhD was awarded this year in the April graduation. Nine years ago, as I was attending the general priesthood session of general conference, I was struck with a strong prompting to get a PhD in computer science. My initial reaction was mixed, since I love learning, but the work that a PhD requires is enormous. Soon after I started my PhD, I was called as a bishop in a BYU singles ward, which seemed on the surface to make the task even more impossible. The first experience in Heavenly Father's individual love for me during my PhD program was I found that I got more accomplished when I was a father, a bishop with a full-time job, working towards tenure as a member of the library faculty, and beginning a PhD program. At the end of my calling as a bishop, it seemed like I had more difficulties making progress. As a bishop, I seemed to be able to focus my attentions on my family, my employment, my calling, and the PhD work. After my release as a bishop, I commented to my wife that I wish they would call me as a bishop again so that I could move through my PhD program more quickly. Another example deals with personal revelation. During my PhD coursework, there was a significant concept that I could not wrap my mind around. Needless to say, this was frustrating and made me question my participation in the PhD program altogether. One night after my family had gone to bed, and after having spent the better part of the day trying to internalize the concept, I turned in frustration to my Heavenly Father. My prayer to Him was simply that I had tried to understand but had failed. If He didn't directly help me, I would not succeed. I turned the problem over to Him. Within ten minutes of that prayer, my understanding was opened and I was able to proceed. I marveled at this. Why should the Creator of heaven and earth care about what was effectively a trivial problem compared to the troubles of the world and the scope of all of His creations? Aren't there more desperate prayers to be answered? I was taught by this and have remembered since that my Heavenly Father cares about what I care about in righteousness. Even though my problem was minuscule, He intervened and moved me forward because it was important to me. Another experience I would like to share concerns my brother when he served in the U.S. Army in Vietnam 45 years ago. Regarding current relations between Vietnam, the USA, and the Church, I read recently that three Vietnamese members of the Church were recognized by the Vietnamese government as the Interim Representative Committee of the Church in Vietnam. There are currently over 1,600 members of the Church in Vietnam, according to the Church's press release. It is wonderful that peace and cooperation have replaced the hostility between our two countries, leading to this first step in the recognition of the Church in their good country. Clearly, the Spirit of the Lord has brought peace. However, returning to the events of 45 years ago, in which hostilities were fierce, my brother enlisted in the Army preferring to be a medical evacuation pilot over an attack helicopter pilot. Although the casualty rate for medical evacuation was quite high, he chose this way to serve his country. Of the 13 pilots who graduated with him in the medical evacuation pilot training, only six returned, and of those, only three were unharmed. Although everyone who served in that theater of conflict was in harm's way, my brother recounts one particular day where the hand of Heavenly Father, through our grandmother, preserved his life. Some years prior to these events, our maternal grandmother, to whom my brother had been very close, had passed away. 
On the day of this battle in question, my brother and his medical evacuation team were called to the front lines to evacuate wounded soldiers during a battle. As was their practice, they would circle a short distance from the battlefield until it was possible to land under the cover of fire from attack helicopters. Landing, receiving the wounded, and taking off again placed them in great danger, since they had to hover in a single place as they landed, making themselves an easy target. On this particular day, they had made a run to a battle location previously, and the commanding officer asked my brother and his team to return to the same battle site due to additional severely wounded soldiers. The fighting was intense, and my brother recalls fear that was in everyone's hearts. They successfully retrieved the wounded despite the heavy fighting. After he landed back at the military base, he said that he could barely walk, sitting on the edge of the helicopter's cockpit door, shaking. He said that he had never felt his grandmother's presence so strongly as at this time, providing him with protection. Later, he was told that on his way out of the combat zone, he had unknowingly flown over a camouflaged anti-aircraft installation. Why they had not fired on him, he does not know. When I was talking to my brother about this experience, he said to me that he knows that Heavenly Father knows his name, who he is, and what he needs. He knows this as surely as the sun rises each morning. Related to this, my parents were justifiably concerned for my brother's safety. Once, my mother told me of a night when she was crying for concern of my brother. Without warning, the room filled with light as if there had been a lightning bolt outside, and she felt the presence of her mother. She heard her mother's voice saying, Anne, Richard will be okay. You don't need to worry. This promise was fulfilled not only in the event I just related, but in my brother's entire tour of service in the military. I've wondered whether the experience of my brother in Vietnam and my mother's prayer occurred near the same time, but I have no way of knowing that. From these two experiences, I've learned that our loved ones who have passed on, under the guidance of our Heavenly Father, can be actively involved in our lives on earth. The last example I'd like to share with you is from the book In Quiet Desperation, Understanding the Challenge of Same-Gender Attraction by Fred and Marilyn Mattis and Ty Mansfield, who is also associated with North Star International. North Star, not formally associated with nor supported by the LDS Church, provides help and support to individuals struggling with same-gender attraction within the context of the teachings of the Church and the Gospel. I became aware of this organization when, as a bishop helping ward members with same-gender attraction, I needed to open my mind and my understanding of this very difficult problem and the pain that ward members were experiencing. In Quiet Desperation shares experiences of individuals struggling with this problem. One of the accounts relates, quote, I have to believe that our Father in Heaven, as a literal parent, loves me personally, is interested in my life and progress, and is willing to bestow upon me whatever blessing I truly need and am open to receive. President Brigham Young said poignantly, If you do not believe that God is your Heavenly Father, cease to call Him Father. And when you pray, pray to some other character. End quote. Indeed, if we don't believe that our Heavenly Father is our Father, then why do we address Him as such? We should believe what we say. The account continues with an analogy of the story of the Israelites fleeing Egypt only to encounter the impassable Red Sea. At this point, many of the Israelites wanted to return to Egypt 
and slavery rather than having faith in their God and his prophet. Quote, When my back was against the sea and my feet were pointing toward Egypt, I have felt the delivering power of my Redeemer. I have seen the salvation of the Lord through sacred personal experiences. During the period of my greatest struggle, all I knew to do was continue doing that which I knew how to do, to study his word and pray for understanding. As I have left my heart open, even my times of doubt and fear, to potentially feeling the comfort and the instruction of the Spirit, he has helped me through personal spiritual experiences to internalize for the first time in my life certain principles I had always believed already known. As I felt the power and grace of Christ actively working in me, I felt the glimmer of hope and the fire of faith begin again to grow brighter in my heart. My barriers of doubt and faithlessness were being parted, and I was given the strength and desire to continue forward once again. End quote. I don't know why we suffer with problems such as same-gender attraction, alcoholism, and addictions, other than that we live in a fallen world, subject to the temptations of Satan, the corruptibility of mortality, and a world that brings forth thorns and thistles to afflict us. However, I know that we are also subject to the love of our Heavenly Father as we struggle with our individual problems. Sacred personal experiences break through the darkness of this celestial world and show us the way. I've recounted instances where our Father in Heaven has directly intervened in individuals' lives from tender mercies to life-altering experiences. One of the dangers in this life is forgetting what you already know and have experienced. Remember what Father in Heaven has already done for you. Refresh your memories. Seek new spiritual experiences. It is all too easy to forget and to deceive ourselves. These tender mercies and life-altering experiences are there to give you hope, faith, and understanding. Remember that your Father in Heaven has already shown His love for you, and because an answer may be no, or more frustrating, there is no response, does not mean that He does not love you. The scriptures are full of examples of people forgetting how their Father in Heaven has helped them. In the journey to the Promised Land, Laman and Lemuel turned on their brother Nephi and were stopped by an angel. Within a few verses, they were complaining again, seemingly as if the angel had never been there at all. The whole Book of Mormon seems to be one cycle of being helped by God, forgetting that they were being helped, running into great problems, repenting and remembering, and then being helped again. One thing to be learned from the Book of Mormon is to not repeat this cycle in your own life. Returning to the analogy of the children of Israel at the shores of the Red Sea from In Quiet Desperation, the account continues, quote, I understand in a personal way the feelings I believe the children of Israel must have felt as they faced the wall of water that caused them to fear and doubt their course as they watched the pursuing Egyptians. As I sometimes have, they forgot the earlier miracles and their earlier illumination. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were so afraid. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland commented on those verses. Some said words to this effect, Let's go back. This isn't worth it. We must have been wrong. That probably wasn't the right spirit telling us to leave Egypt. End quote. The children of Israel forgot what they had already experienced and had known, and preferred the slavery in Egypt to the freedom of following the Lord. 
remembering all the interactions our Heavenly Father has had with us should illuminate our current decisions and paths. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes of attributes of righteousness such as faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And then he continues, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. Peter is admonishing us whom we have righteousness in us. We are fruitful in the knowledge of our Savior. But unrighteousness makes us blind, forgetting how our Savior has blessed us. Forgetting is like saying these experiences never occurred and that we don't value them. Forgetting may lead us to make decisions as if our Father in Heaven has never influenced our lives at all. The painting by local artist Greg Olson titled Lost and Found is one of my favorites. Note the attention the Savior is giving the young man. His body is leaning forward and he is listening intently. Who is the young man? With his backpack, he seems to be on a journey, but he is alone except that the Savior has found him. What is the young man looking for? There's a path leading from the forest. Is this the path that led him to the bench where the Savior was waiting for him? This painting was particularly important to some friends of ours. One of their children had left the family and they did not know where their child had gone. There was nothing that they could do to help since there was no contact and they had no notion where to find their child. This picture was important to them since they could do nothing to help. All they could hope for was that the Savior or someone feeling the Savior's influence was there to help their child. This image says more to me. It also says that it may be one of us who is sent to help with Christ's help and inspiration. On more than one occasion as a bishop, I recall being stopped in my tracks, literally stopped, and told to visit a member of my ward. On many of those occasions, the visit was well-timed to provide help to a ward member. This built my testimony in the Lord's love for my ward members, sending me when and where I was needed. Last week in my awards sacrament meeting, one of the youth speakers, Nicole Terrell, noted that the phone number we call for help is 911, but that we should think upon the number 991 to give help, recalling the Savior's parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one. Brothers and sisters, I've shared with you examples of our Heavenly Father reaching out. We should seek and identify those experiences in our lives that demonstrate God's love for us and His attention to your needs and your lives. We should remember them and let them encourage and strengthen us. Remember, seek your Father in Heaven's help. Remember everything that your Father in Heaven has done for you personally. Use those memories to sustain you throughout your trials. Be the one who is listening and helping. Paraphrasing John chapter 3, verse 16, always remember that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son, that if you should believe on him, you should not perish but have eternal life. I leave these things with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was the worth of souls. William B. Lund gave his devotional entitled, For God So Loved You, 
Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.